We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. Just to catch you up, at this point in the story, we're about seven weeks, seven weeks removed from the Exodus when they crossed the Red Sea. And they found themselves at the base of Sinai, and they're going to be there for about the next 11 months. And God's about to enter into an incredible covenant, a covenant where in the very next chapter, he's going to give the Ten Commandments. So let's see what happens. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day, they came out of the desert of Sinai. And after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. And Moses went up to the God went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said this is what you're to say to the house of Jacob and what you're to tell the people of Israel you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles wings and brought you to myself now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession although the whole earth is mine you will be for me a kingdom of priests a holy nation These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and he summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord and the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will put their trust in you. And Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready for the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people and put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not go up onto the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on him. Whether man or animal, he will not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they go up to the mountain. And after Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day, abstain from sexual relations. And on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning and with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, everyone in the camp trembled. And Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. And the smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. And Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. And the Lord descended on top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they don't force their way through to see the Lord. And many of them perish. And even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us. Put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. And the Lord replied, Go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priest and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, Lord, help us to see today that entering into a relationship with you is serious. And it should not be taken lightly. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please be seated? And as you're being seated, you'll see that big idea is on the screen behind behind me. That entering into a relationship with God is serious and it shouldn't be taken lightly. You see that just as we read together quickly through Exodus chapter 19. But I want to point out 
three things about that. Three things specifically about what it looks like to enter into a relationship with God that come off the pages of this text. But we're going to spend the majority of our time on our fourth point together today. And that's when we're going to move from Exodus 19 to Hebrews chapter 12. But first, let's just see what this passage teaches us about how serious it is to enter into a relationship with God. First and foremost, number one, if you're going to enter into a relationship with God, you must be willing to listen and to obey. You must be willing to listen and obey. Look with me at verse 5. It said, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant. The number one reason that people don't get things out of meeting with the Lord, whether it's through their quiet time or corporate worship, is they are unprepared to come into worship and unwilling to listen to God before they ever step in. So let me ask you this. What if today God wanted to change your life? What if God wanted to convict you of sin in your life? What if God wanted you to do something different? Have you already decided today before you ever stepped in that you weren't going to do it? Or are you willing today to be soft-hearted enough and to listen enough and allow your mind to hear enough that you'd be willing to listen and obey, number one? Number two, number two. The Bible says here in verses 10 and 11 and verse 14 that you must consecrate your hearts that you must consecrate your hearts. Look at what it says in verse 10. It said, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them. In verse 14, Moses goes and he consecrates them. He prepares them. He tells them very clearly, hey, wash your clothes, clean yourself up. Tomorrow is a special day. So what does it look like to consecrate your hearts for worship? I want to get real practical with you. I want to get real practical. I fully know that sometimes it is with quiet times when you're specifically having your own personal devotion. If you go into that and you're unprepared, you just walk into it and you think, well, let me get this Bible read. Let me get this devotion done. Let me get this check off the list. Let me say this prayer. Guess what? You're not going to get anything out of it. If you rush into here on a Sunday morning and you're unprepared, it's very likely that you're not going to get anything out of it. Sometimes right now you can look down at your watch. You're like, man, it's 11 o'clock. And some of you are thinking, Man, I'm hungry. Some of you ought to eat breakfast before you come to church because if you can't pay attention because you're hungry, we'll eat something before you show up. Some of you are sitting there going right now, you know, I mean, I'm trying to stay with you, Brother Larry, but I mean, I'm tired. I had a late night last night. You should have gone to bed last night. You should have got a decent night's sleep and prepared yourself for worship. Some of you in here came in here so frazzled because you couldn't figure out what you were going to wear this morning. Pick out your clothes on Saturday. Iron them before you get here. Some of you this morning jumped in the car and you had just enough time. You looked down, your car said zero miles to empty. Oh, I've got to go to the gas station. Fill up your car on Saturday. The gas stations are open then too. Some of you are going, wait, hold on a minute. That seems like you're kind of just picking on things. I think truly when it, we need to look at our lives both individually and in corporate worship and ask ourselves the question, have we actually come here expecting God to work? Have we prepared? Have we consecrated our lives? And then number three, number three, you better come into worship, whether it's individually or corporately, you better come to worship with a healthy fear of God. Having a healthy fear of God. Look at verse 21. This is really pretty clear. In verse 21, the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people so they don't force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them would perish. God made it really, care, really clear. Verse 12, put limits around the mountain and tell them, Don't go on this mountain. Don't set foot on this mountain, or I'm going to kill them. 
Now, this is a fascinating verse of Scripture because in Exodus 19, the very first verses that we read together, what did God say about the people of Israel? He said, you remember I brought you out of Egypt because I kept you. I lifted you up on eagles' wings. You're my treasured possession. All people are mine, but you above all else, I'm using you as a light unto the Gentiles that you are a chosen people. You're a holy people. Yet, At the beginning of the chapter, he says, I love you, I've saved you, I've redeemed you, and now he says, if you get too close to me, I'll kill you. That's an aspect of God I fear that we're not talking about enough, that God is a God that is to be feared. Now, it seems that we've tried to explain that away. We've told kids, no, you don't really need to fear God. That just means that you ought to have respect for God. When those men grabbed the Ark of the Covenant and they fell dead, that was not just because they had a respect for God, it's because they feared God. There was a fear of God that resonated through the people. There were two priests, Leviticus chapter 10, Adab and Nabihu. They walked up and what they did simply was bring a strange fire, the Bible tells us, a strange fire that they brought to the altar and the Lord killed them and they fell dead. You say, well, that's Old Testament. Ananias and Sapphira fell dead. And there is, and I don't, I'm not saying this just for the purpose of scaring you, but I want you to understand something today because this is biblical. God could kill you. He's holy and you are not. And he is within his rights as the sovereign king of the universe. You say, well, how does that affect our worship? You say, should we just come in here scared to death? No. We balance the love and grace and mercy of God with the fear of God. So part of how we worship is understanding how loving and graceful and merciful he is in spite of the fact that he's also a God of wrath and a God of judgment. And it becomes more beautiful that the God who has every right to strike me down has not. So when I say, my Jesus, I love you, I love you because you have rescued me from the wrath that I should have. Friends, there needs to be a healthier fear of God. We hear all this in evangelical circles about how we need to make God relevant. Forget make, how do you make someone relevant who created the universe? We're not making God relevant. We're coming before him to understand that there needs to be a seriousness about ourselves where we're not so glib and trite and trivial when we step before the presence of God. It changes our worship. So certainly we must be willing to listen and obey. We've got to consecrate our hearts. But we also need a healthy fear of God. But number four, number four, this is where I want to spend most of our time together today. We've got to be a people who march to Zion and not to Sinai. We've got to be a people who march to Zion and not to Sinai. And some of you are saying, I don't know what you're talking about. You're about to. Take your Bibles and now take and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Now's the time. Whether you put your Bible marker in there or, or whether or not um, you've just got your finger there, flip over now to, as we go to all the way to Hebrews chapter 12 together. I'm actually going to start in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 18. But I want you to remember what we just read together. If you're paying attention as you read and we read Exodus 19, because the writer of Hebrews is now going to explain Exodus 19 in light of 
the new covenant. So we're going to understand the old covenant. You remember that they're at the base of Sinai, Exodus 20. They're going to get the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments that came on those stone tablets. And now God entered into a covenant with the people. What we know from the Old Testament is they entered into this covenant. God kept the covenant. The people did not keep the covenant. So to understand that old covenant in light of the new covenant, there's not a more, there's not a more beautiful place in Scripture than to help us see that in Exodus chapter 12. We're going to begin reading together in verse 18, but I want you to remember what we just read together as we read this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness and gloom and storm. What's it talking about? It's talking about Sinai. It's talking about the mountain that the people came to during the Exodus when Moses went up to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further words would be spoken to them. It's talking about the voice of God that the Moses heard and the people heard that we just read about together in Exodus 19 because they could not bear what was commanded. And what was commanded? Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. We just read that together. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. So let's take that paragraph together. You, as a new covenant believer, he's saying, have not come to this mountain. You have come not to Sinai, but you have come to a different mountain. Let's figure out what that mountain is. But you have, verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirit of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when he refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we when we turn away from us who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And the words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. We need to understand Sinai in light of Zion. We need to understand why I'm so thankful that I'm marching to Zion and I'm not marching to Sinai. So let's just give a little recap so I'll make sure we're all together on this. When we talk about Sinai, Sinai represents the old covenant or the law of God. When Moses goes onto the mountain and receives the Ten Commandments, what we know is that is God's covenant. God says, I will honor my part of the covenant if you do what I tell you to. Now, if you remember from Exodus, if you remember back in Exodus 19, the people actually lied to Moses, though they didn't realize they were lying. They said, you tell God we'll do everything that he says. True or false question? Did they do everything God said do? No. 
And this is where I think the Ten Commandments are completely misunderstood. In fact, we had arguments years ago about putting the Ten Commandments up in schoolhouses everywhere. The reason that God gave the Ten Commandments was not to convince them how holy they were, but to show them how unrighteous and wicked they were. You'll remember, they said, we'll do everything that you said. The point of the Ten Commandments was to condemn people. Moses comes down off the mountain. We're going to talk about this next week in Exodus chapter 32. They've just made all of these promises. They're at the base of the mountain. They've heard the voice of God. The earth is shaking. Smoke's billowing up from the mountain. Moses has a fresh cut set of the Ten Commandments that he's going to come down and enter into this covenant with the people. Moses is glowing and transfigured from being in the presence of God. And before he can even list the Ten Commandments, when he comes down, they are worshiping a golden cow. They've broken the first two commandments. In fact, the first three commandments immediately before they're even read. The first commandment is what? You should have no other gods before me. They've done that. By the way, so have we. They'd bowed down to graven images. They'd made something more important than God. By the way, so have we. They'd taken the Lord's name in vain. By the way, so have we. They hadn't remembered the Sabbath day and kept it holy. By the way, we're guilty of the same thing. They hadn't honored their mother and father. By the way, you're guilty of the same thing. Number six said that they weren't supposed to murder. They had done that, and so have you. I'm going to prove that to you in just a moment. Number seven, anybody remember what that was? They weren't supposed to commit adultery. Some of you are thinking you're okay. You've done that too. They weren't supposed to have stolen anything, not even an answer off a test. But they broke that commandment, and so have you. They weren't supposed to tell any lies. They weren't supposed to bear false witness, but they had done that too. And they weren't supposed to covet, and they had broken that too. So all of Israel, everyone was lawbreakers. And if you come to God through Sinai, you're in trouble because he's going to kill you. Why? Because you can't stand in his holy presence because you've broken every one of the Ten Commandments. And some of you are saying right now, I'm leaving out of here. I'm not listening to that. I haven't broken all Ten Commandments. Yes, you have. You, said, I'm, you say, I'm not an adulterer. Jesus said, if you've ever looked at a person with lust in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. Busted. Some of you are saying, well, I've never killed anybody. Jesus said, if you ever thought about another man and you thought he was a fool in your heart, then you committed murder in your heart. Busted again. All ten, you're guilty. You can't come to God through Sinai. So when you hear the Ten Commandments, you shouldn't say, wow, I'm going to try to do a better job of that because I want to be more righteous. You ought to hear the Ten Commandments and think I'm in trouble. That's the goal of the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments send you to the new covenant or they send you to Zion because when you find yourself in Zion, now we understand that it, what Zion is, is the place of grace where we enter into this new or this second covenant. In verse 25 of the verses we just read, it says, see to it that you don't refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when he warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn around if we were warned from heaven? If they were accountable at Sinai to God, which they were, how much more are we accountable from Zion? 
It is a different promised land that is at stake. Before, they were marching towards Israel, toward a literal promised land. We recognize now that when we come to Zion, that there is a very different promised land. That's what's described at the end of the verses we read together. It is a promised land that we look towards now that we recognize that when God shakes the earth, in 19, he shook the mountain and smoke billowed out of the mountain and the people are at the mountain of God and they're hearing the voice of God. But it is not the last time that God is going to shake the earth. And the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 to 14, and 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, that he is going to shake the earth from Zion as well. And the next time he shakes it, that everything is going to be laid bare, that everything is going to be destroyed, that everything is going to be shaken and removed, and the only thing that is not going to be destroyed is Zion, is the house of God, heaven, and God is going to recreate what the Bible says is a new heaven and a new earth. So yes, friends, everything that you see is going to be destroyed, including that tent of a body that you're sitting in right now. It's all going to be destroyed forevermore. It's all going to be broken up. It's all going to be destroyed, and it's not going to be by global warming. It's going to be by the massive destruction of a holy God who incinerates it all immediately. And yet when we hear that, there are those of you that say, I, I don't like this, Larry. This is that old school fire and brimstone if you have not experienced the joy of salvation because you have come to Jesus through Zion then yes that should be terrifying but to those of you who are new covenant believers it ought to be thank God almighty that when everything is shaken and that sin is no more and that there's no more sickness and no more crying and no more pain I already know where my citizenship is not because I stood at the base of Sinai and thought I could be good enough but because I came to the Lord through Zion you see friends I want to show you today practically how I know that the whole world thinks that they're getting to God through Sinai the whole world thinks they're coming through Sinai if you ask anybody today where they're going to go when they die, 99% of people will tell you they'll go to heaven. And the overwhelming majority of those, when you ask them, why do you think you're going to heaven, do you know what they'll say? They'll start telling you because of things that they've done that are good or they're not as bad as some people. And they'll begin to list their attributes. That's trying to come to God through Sinai. Every other world religion is trying to come to God through Sinai by trying to say, here are things that I've done and things that I've sacrificed. And friends, I would tell you that only new covenant believers are people that have experienced the power of God and can say, I don't want to come to Sinai because I can't come to Sinai. I'm coming because even though I have broken every single law of God, I am a sinner and all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have gone astray and all includes me thank Jesus that I don't have to come today through Sinai but I come by his blood and because he told me I could come and the reason that he told me I could come was that every law that's ever been broken by me and by you was taken on him at Calvary and he was punished because the wrath of God that would have been poured out at Sinai on every person's foot who touched the mountain that wrath that should have fallen on you and should have fallen on me fell on the only begotten, the Son of God, when he experienced the very wrath of God in those moments. But I am sick and tired of the foolish talk of evan in evangelical circles about that we serve a God who changed between the two covenants. 
That there's an Old Testament God and there's a New Testament God. And the Old Testament God, that's a God of wrath. We have some heretical fools even in what are supposedly respected evangelical circles that have instructed us that we could ignore the Old Testament because it's not for us. If you don't understand the Old Testament, you can't be saved because you can't understand the New Testament. So what do we learn from that? We know that He is the God of Sinai and the God of Zion, and that's important. Because the two have not changed. God has not changed. God has not been moved. He has not been shaken. But what it does tell us is that the God of wrath and judgment is also the God of grace and mercy. You say, well, I like the grace God better than I like the wrath God. You don't know the grace God if you don't know the wrath God. You don't know the God of love until you know the God of judgment. And the reason is because you can't appreciate what he's done or what he would do or his love for you until you understand that you stood at Sinai and you've trembled before the holiness of God. And you were like the people of Israel who stood and recognized that we're scared to death to be here. And that's when we're driven to our knees. And I love it. I love it. And you may have missed this. In chapter 19, I want you to see this, verse 15. It's actually said twice in chapter 19. Some of you may have, may have caught it. Because God told Moses to tell the people, and I love this, watch this, Exodus 19, 15, prepare for the third day. Did you hear that? Prepare for the third day, Exodus 19, 15. Friends, it's amazing that as we fast forward into the new covenant, that Jesus had to tell his disciples, prepare for the third day. Friends, I want you to know that after he bore the sin and the wrath, after he became our atoning sacrifice, that they took him and they laid him in a tomb and they placed him there dead and gone. But what they didn't recognize is that they had not prepared for the third day when the stone would be rolled away and Jesus Christ comes out of the ground having paid the sacrifice, borne the wrath, so that now, after his victory is complete, I march to Zion, not to Sinai, because I recognize that there at Zion, where Jesus Christ defeated sin and death forevermore, not just on Calvary, but at the place of the empty tomb right across the street, that now that place represents a new and holy city, a place where grace abounds. Psalm 24, David asked one of the most important questions that's ever been asked. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Let me restate that. Who is God going to allow into Zion? Only those who have what? Clean hands and a pure heart. But how is that going to happen? It's not going to happen because you get a little better. It's not going to happen because you improve. It's not going to happen even if you sin a little bit less. It's only going to happen if you come through Zion.
It's only going to happen if you come to the cross of Christ. It's only going to happen if His blood is the one that covers your disgusting, foul hands and pours over your dirty soul. That's the only way that it happens. So that now when you stand before God and He says, Why should I let you ascend my holy hill? You don't ever stand before Him and say, Well, it's been because I've been a pretty good person or I've done this or I've done that. You're going to stand before Him and say, Because of the blood of Jesus and I come before you with clean hands and a pure heart because he's my savior he atoned for me and because of that he said I could come into your house friends I'm coming to Zion not to Sinai but friends I want you to know that right now whether or not you need to come to join the church or whether you need to come to Zion to get saved every one of us today we ought to be excited that we're marching to Zion that we're marching to a heavenly city a city that cannot be shaken a city that cannot be moved a place where there will be no more sin or crying or pain a place that when everything is no more in the devil and all have, everything has been destroyed that you and I have the privilege to be citizens why because of the blood of Jesus and because we have marched to Zion by the grace of Jesus Christ